0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks.
1: I even remember Michael Phelps coming up to me saying, hey, Josh, we really want you to be ready for that relay. And I thought, I'm really not recovering like I used to. I'm, I'm not swimming as fast as I used to. And then I, on the other side, I've got people calling me To come speak at churches and youth groups and I'm getting paid to tell people about Jesus and teach kids to swim better. And I'm really torn. Do I go to practice and get really tired and depressed? Or do I go tell people about Jesus and go teach kids swimming and and provide for my family?
0: I'm Morgan Ling, and you are listening to Quick to Listen. I'm an assistant editor here at Christianity Today, and today I am joined by Senior editor of Christianity Today, Ted Olson.
2: I am so excited about this, Morgan. This is going to be really fun. It has been so fun talking about the Olympics with you. And now we have like two really good people to talk about this with.
0: It's a pretty big deal.
2: It is. Okay, so first up, we have Tim Ellsworth. He has covered the Olympics. Uh, four different Olympics, and just got back from Rio, where he's been covering uh, the Olympic Games there for Baptist Press. Uh, along with David Budaya, he just came out with this book, uh, Greater Than Gold, From Olympic Heartbreak to Ultimate Redemption. It's about the uh, gold medalist divers life and faith. Um, he is also uh, at uh, Union University, where he uh, directs communications uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, Uh, really awesome to have him. I've been reading a lot of his work over like years, ever since I was rounding up news for Christianity today, reading his Olympics coverage. We also have an actual Olympian. Uh, Josh Davis is a five-time Olympic medalist. Uh, he was the only man from any country at the 1996 Atlanta games to win three gold medals, which is amazing. Uh, he was the U S swim team captain at the 2000 Sydney games. He won two silvers there, and he's now heading up the men's and women's swimming programs at Oklahoma Christian University. And guys, we are like uh, jumping out of our chairs. We're so excited to have you here.
1: Great to be thank with you guys.
3: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Where are you guys both calling us from?
3: Go ahead, Tim. I am calling from Jackson, Tennessee, from my office uh, at Union University.
0: And if we talked to you a couple of days ago, where would you have been calling us from?
3: I would have been calling from Rio a couple of days ago. I uh, was there for the first few days of the Olympics and just got home yesterday about 11 o'clock a.m.
2: Nice.
0: Any like opening remarks about how Rio is as a city?
3: Rio was great. Uh, it's my first time to be there. Uh, it was an interesting uh, city. It was, I think in some ways, you know, it's it's easy to compare it to other cities that you've been to with Olympics. You know, London and Beijing. I, I think there's some ways in which Rio kind of lagged behind those other cities, but you know, it's a it's a great city with a great culture, and it was a lot of fun to be there.
0: Josh, where are you calling us from?
3: I'm in Edmond, Oklahoma, where we've been living for four
1: years. I'm originally from San Antonio, Texas, and I usually go to the Olympics, but my wife and I have a new baby, a uh, three-month-old Sophia who met uh, Boomer Phelps the other day at Olympic trials. (laughs) Nice. They were born a week apart. So we're hoping that Boomer Phelps and little Sophia Davis can be buddies someday. So my life is a little crazy because I have five teenagers and a newborn.
2: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Not crazy at all, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you guys both so much for joining us today. Um, We're really, really, really psyched, like Ted said. That you're here. We're going to talk about the Olympics right now. Um, It's been going on. We're in our second week. Everyone has seen all the headlines about Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, Simone Biles, at least if you follow the American coverage of the games Almost all of those people are American stars. Um, and we've also gotten a chance to get a little you know about Brazil a little bit more um, and see some of their really fun celebrations, whether it was them defeating the Americans in beach volleyball earlier this week or winning medals in gymnastics, which is probably one of my favorite celebrations of the entire game. So I was watching their men win silver and bronze on floor exercise earlier this week. Before we get in with our gut check and our in-depth discussion at the Olympics, I just want to let everyone know, all of our listeners know that quick to listen is made possible by subscribers of Christianity Today magazine. So thank you all who subscribe to us and subscribe to this podcast. Our magazine offers redemptive and honest coverage of people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture, and that includes the Olympics. I actually wrote a piece about the Olympics a couple weeks ago. As a subscriber to our publication, you are going to get 10 award-winning print issues, and you'll get access to all of our archives on the site um, and to all of our articles that are online. So a huge array of information right there. You can get all of this for $10 a year. Um, This is made possible by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. So orderct.com slash quick to listen. And that's what makes you eligible to get all of this for $10. So let's do our gut check. The gut check that I want everyone to do this week is to go back to a race from earlier this week where we had Allison Felix, who is one of the most decorated Olympians out there. She's a track and field star and she had won the 400 and the 200 meters in London. And she was trying to do the same here in the Rio Olympics. She did not qualify for the 200 meters um, in the Olympic trials. So she only had the 400 meter race. And for those of you that did not watch, the race was incredibly intense. And Alison Felix was there at the finish line. And as she was about to cross the finish line, Shawnee Miller, who had been leading for most of the race, dove across the finish line at the last second. It's an incredible moment. Everyone should go watch that. But some people had issues with this diving thing. So does anyone want to tell me how they felt about that if they had a chance to watch that, which I think everyone did?
3: Josh, let's let the Olympian go first.
1: Yeah, well, I've been a big fan of Allison Felix for eight years now. She was in a, a little book I put together of Christian Olympians, and she was one of the most delightful to interview, and that was in 2007 that I interviewed her, and the depth of her faith and the genuineness of, of her was, was quite impressive. And now to see her dominance on the world level Uh, these last you know 08 2012 and now 2016 is truly amazing and obviously she had her heart set on getting that gold everything was pointed towards that to repeat as gold medalist but she's overcome several injuries this year she's overcome several deaths in the family and just within the last couple of months and so i think for her to get that silver was huge and obviously she was heartbroken And I was pleased that this morning on the interviews, she was smiling again. She was, you know, you could sense that she's praising God despite her disappointment. But I have a feeling she was pretty heartbroken and needed to mourn last night because the death of a dream is like the death of a loved one. You got to mourn. You got to grieve. You got to get it out. And I I have a feeling she did that with family last night and is now her, her usual cheery, grateful self. But uh, what a great career she's had.
2: I guess my gut check was I was intensely aware of the effect of being an American or just being the same. Nationality as one of the competitors is <laughs> like I'll, yeah, watching that. I said I feel the way I feel about this because we're from the same country, and I'm <laughs> rooting for Team USA. And I'm sure if I had been, you know, uh, from the Caribbean or w- even just maybe not from America and wanting to see America taken down a peg, then like my perspective would be totally, totally different on that race. And also a little bit annoyed with all the commentary about, oh, just a silver. Like, you know, um, silver's silver's pretty, pretty
0: awesome. <laughs> all right, Tim?
3: I don't have a problem with it. I mean, she didn't do anything against the rules. The goal is to get across the finish line first. If if that's what you have to do in order to to win the race, then so be it. I, I, it stinks for Allison Felix. I was rooting for her. Uh, Like Josh said, uh, you know, she's been just such a a gracious example and and role model for so many people. I I wanted her to win that gold, but uh, she came up just a little bit short. I think that there was nothing wrong with it. I don't think it was dirty. I don't think it was cheap. Uh, I think it's just the the way that the race played out. And I don't have any criticism of Miller for doing that.
1: Yeah, I don't think she meant to dive and I don't think it actually helped her. I think if she would have stayed up straight running like normal, she probably would have been a couple hundreds faster. But um, if you, the dive works, so be it. It just hurts when you land.
2: Is there, <laughs> is there an equivalent to the dive in swimming?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever touched with their head or their chest. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? In the Paralympics, some of the athletes have to do that. And we give great props and respect to those Paralympic athletes that have to touch with something other than their hand and we have great respect for them.
0: I felt disappointed for Allison, but I also kind of like loved what Shawnee Miller did. I thought it was gutsy to the extent that she was like trying to dive and didn't just kind of like trip into the, um across the finish line. I thought it was a really gutsy move. And I also was confused about some of the, there were some headlines that talked about Allison redeeming herself or not redeeming herself. And I didn't know what exactly she had to redeem herself from because she hadn't really done anything that would put her in a position where she would have to like come back from something. I-, I guess redeem to me implies that there was some sort of transgression where to me it seemed like life and unfortunate things happened to her.
2: And actually, Tim and, and Josh, I'm interested in your guys' take on that because, you know, Tim, you've written this book that actually uses the word redemption in the title. And, and Josh, I'm sure this was discussed a lot uh, in, in your career. If you did like a count of the word redemption in Olympics coverage, I mean, it comes up well, in any kind of sports coverage, just comes up all the time. And I'm wondering, like, what do you guys make of that word as Christians when it means something like did better in this race than in their previous race?
1: Well, I think in Allison's case, you know, she might have had some off years at the world championship level and wanted to kind of shine one last time at the Olympic level, which in a in a way, that's kind of some redemption that she's still deserving of, you know, winning a gold medal. But um, obviously, for her personal life, I, she's pretty spotless and doesn't necessarily need. <laughs> I don't think she needs to <laughs> use the word redemption. But I will say, on Michael Phelps' behalf, he's gone through some very dark times the last several years, and his turnaround—what he's gone through emotionally, spiritually, personally, morally—has been. I'd care, care, categorize that as redemption.
3: I think the same thing. You know, with uh, with David Badiah. Uh, you know, I, I can really only speak from, from that perspective of, of working with him on this book for the past several months. But uh, his story is one of uh, absolute redemption. And it not, has nothing to do with how he fared in the Olympics. Uh, it has everything to do with the fact that he was a, a sinner. He was lost. Uh, his life was was hopeless. He was in tremendous anguish and despair over the state of his soul and the Lord reached down and rescued him from that pit and from the depths of those despair, of that despair and gave him new life in Christ and so and he has that regardless of how he, you know, whether he won a gold medal at the Olympics or not. And that's something, you know, that is the title of the book, Greater Than Gold. Uh, That's exactly what it is for him. And so that's what his redemption is, you know, redemption and new life in in Christ, regardless of uh, of his performance in the Olympics.
2: There is, you know, a narrative that I I do keep kind of encountering, and I don't know if it's particularly true in kind of Christian media narratives or if this is more broadly applicable this idea that you know someone wins gold and then after that they kind of have a crisis or at least a a soul-searching moment or or kind of a letdown uh josh as you know someone who's had you know three gold medals i am curious you know is is that a fairly common uh, thing to have like post-Olympic letdown?
1: Um, I think everybody experiences it to varying degrees, but there is a a letdown. You know, when you come off a church retreat or a church camp or a summer project or a mission trip and you come back to the regular world and you're like, oh, man, you know, you're kind of like leaving heaven. (laughs) <laughs> um, leaving, leaving an emotional high. And so yeah. obviously the, the Olympic village is a little bit like heaven. I mean, especially if you're winning medals and doing really well for me though, what, what relieved some of that let down is I shared my gold medals with so many kids and so many groups and spoke to kids and was giving of myself and sharing it. And so I've been on the road for, you know, 16 years now Passing around the gold medals, telling kids about Jesus, encouraging them in their in their sports and pursuing excellence and being strong of mind, body, spirit. You know, I just I love sharing that. So I never really had a big, big low. But even I had a little bit of one, but not not to the depths of some athletes go to. But I think some athletes come home with their gold medal and just kind of put it in the safety deposit box and just expect sponsors and people to start a calling. And sometimes that doesn't happen. You really kind of have to go out and start giving of yourself and get ingrained in community and society in a in a healthy way to avoid the letdown.
3: David Bedaya would agree with that too. That he he went through a time of, of letdown after he won the gold medal after the twenty in the twenty twelve Olympics uh, because even though he had become a believer and even though it, in twenty twelve he knew that a gold medal was not the pinnacle of his existence and, and and not the the most precious thing in his life i think there was still a part of him that in winning that goal that he that he thought that that would would bring a sense of satisfaction to his life that he didn't have otherwise and he gets back home and gets back into his routine and you know not, nothing has really changed that much uh, there there are a lot of demands on his time that uh, he wasn't expecting. One of the things that he had to deal with was uh, all of the media and, and just this temptation to put yourself at the center of everything. So it was it was really a challenge for him and a trial for him to die to self and to remember who he was in Christ. And that's really what uh, what helped him get through that, along with uh, the, the counsel of, of some, some wise leaders from his church.
0: Both of you guys have a much closer glimpse of the Olympics than a lot of us Americans stateside do. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that the public has about the games um, that you guys especially think should be kind of cleared up or exposed?
1: I think in the Olympic Village, it's actually pretty clean, pretty organized, pretty pleasant area. You know, it's incredibly secure within the village. The food is great and, you know, visiting with other countries is just so cool and being in the USA dormitory is wonderful because you're with all the other athletes from all the other sports and you, you know, you run into them in the halls and you run into them in the dining hall and it's kind of fun. And, you know, but outside the village, you do have to just be careful. Like every big city in the world, there's places you go and places you don't go. But Everybody is really kind of pretty normal in the Olympic Games.
0: (laughs) It's it's Um, a more even playing field, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, er, you know everybody's pretty regular, just trying to do their job. And uh, you know when they go home, they go home to just you know kind of regular stuff. And most Olympians hardly make anything. You know, have to work part time or you know get creative with how they raise funds and get sponsors. So it's not it's not very glamorous. The other Three and a you know 0.9 years of, of the quadrennium, but this this two weeks they try and soak it up and really enjoy the free stuff and the publicity.
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment. I think especially about uh, when it comes to to the athletes and we see them on TV for for a two week period, and we're as a culture kind of obsessed with the Olympics and with the athletes that we're seeing competing. And we have to, to remind ourselves that a lot of these people, you know, Michael Phelps is the exception. Uh, Michael Phelps is not the norm for the people who are competing in the Olympics, and they do have to to work hard, and they do labor in relative obscurity most of the time, uh, with the exception of th- that two week period when they're in the national spotlight, and then they can go back and you know go back to to being uh, anonymous for a, a large part, and uh, their life is is not a whole lot different than uh, than, than the rest of us. What
1: I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood.
3: A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post October seventh world.
2: Six thirty a.m. We're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're and they're going on. Everybody Everybody
3: Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict.
0: When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home but they, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there.
3: This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come, all in one place.
0: I'm wondering if you guys can talk a little bit about balance when it comes to sports and training for that sport, being devoted to that sport, and how. People balance family or faith, be and also being trying to be one of the best in the world at their given sport.
1: Well, I know for me, I was really blessed to to marry my wife, my college sweetheart, when we were in college, which was kind of crazy. Our, my fifth year, her junior year, we decided to just go for it and get married. I mean, I was living poor with some guys, and she was living poor with some girls. I thought, <laughs> let's, let's just live poor together. We got we got married, and God really blessed it. You know, she was she was a volleyball player, and so she knew the rigors of my schedule and she really we supported each other and cooked meals together as she was training for college volleyball and I was training for the Olympics and I go to Atlanta and God was really gracious and got three gold medals for America and we come back home and you know the world changed a little bit where I had the opportunities to speak and travel and write and you know give clinics to kids and make a make a business out of this and so she was very business minded and so she was a huge help in helping me do that. And I got to found a real good agent and that created some great balance and wisdom. And then we had three kids in four years. Wow. Actually, three kids in three years. So I showed like my up my family. To, yeah. So I, I showed up to. So my I tell everybody, my wife is the real Olympian because uh, she gave us a total of five kids in eight years. And those first three were back to back each year. And I I left her. For Sydney, for my second Olympics, with a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a two-day-old.
3: Oh man! Yeah, yeah, she did more work uh, during that Olympics than
1: you did. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm in Sydney, Australia, the swim crazy country of Australia. I'm captain of the USA team. I break the American record. I'm getting free massages and free food and being on live global TV. You know, leading the USA team, and my wife's at home with the three babies of course, as soon as swimming's done, I race on the first plane home back. I don't get to party the second week like all the other swimmers. I got to hurry back home.
0: <laughs> to and see your nine I, day old.
1: I, I got to. And yeah. so I, uh, I got, I get to the front door and she greets me there with one of the babies with a loaded diaper and says, your turn. <laughs> so I'm watching the Olympics, the second week of the Olympics, you know, track and field and basketball. I'm watching on my sofa, carrying two babies covered in spit. You know, I haven't slept in days. And I'm like, this is really weird. I was just over there winning gold medals, feeling immortal. And now I'm not sleeping, holding all these babies covered in spit up. I mean, this is really weird. But I, I'm so glad I went home to help my wife. And I'm so glad that she was able to create that balance for me to achieve success in the pool as a business and as a life partner. So I'm really thankful that I didn't have to put too many things on hold, you know, like getting a getting a spouse, getting a house, getting, starting a family. I actually think I got faster because of those things, because of that balance and, and, so just marry a great spouse is what you got to do.
2: <laughs> do you find that the challenge of, you know, how much time to devote to training or the time to devote to this, you know, sport in general uh, versus the uh, time to devote to, uh, to work um, and kind of the, the, post, uh, the post-Olympic life, how do, how do, those, how do those interrelate? Um, are, they, are they similar challenges? Or are they really different challenges? One being a season and one being kind of uh, the rest of your working life?
1: Oh, absolutely. With the fourth and fifth kid coming pretty close after that, can I go? And my, I'm getting older. I'm now 32, getting ready for 2004 Athens Olympics. And he, I even remember Michael Phelps coming up to me saying, hey, Josh, we, I re- we really want you to be ready for that relay. You know, you can be a real a real help on that relay with us because he was getting fast. He had just broken my American record. And I thought I'm really not recovering like I used to. I'm I'm not swimming as fast as I used to. And then I on the other side, I've got people calling me to come speak at churches and youth groups and I'm getting paid to tell people about Jesus and teach kids to swim better and I'm, you know inspire people. Like, I'm really torn, do I go to practice and get really tired and depressed or do I go tell people about Jesus and go you know teach kids swimming and, and provide for my family? So I began to really uh, be torn and kind of lost sight of what my you know, ultimate goal was and that was to compete in another Olympic games. And so I had to learn the hard way where I didn't make all my practices and I didn't make the Olympic team. And so I do, I still suffer with a little regret. Like, what if I had just, you know, saved all the Christian talks and swim clinics for after the Olympics? You know, could I have made the team? Could I have contributed and done the one more games, the third games with Michael? I I really don't know. I try not to dwell on it too much because, you know, God's blessed us in so many ways. I'm not that worried about it. But I do believe an athlete has to fully commit if that's what God calls them to do, if they're called to train for the Olympics, you've got to fully commit and really have wise counsel and community helping you navigate that.
0: Tim, did you see any of these questions play out in David's life?
3: One of the things that, that helped David when it came to to his preparation for the Olympics, uh, this kind of echoes what, what Josh said, was his family. Uh, because after the uh, 2012 Olympics, uh, he he got married and uh, he you know they had a daughter here a couple of years ago. He went through a time after the, after London where diving just didn't have the same allure that it did before. Where he was just kind of tired of it. He wasn't sure he wanted to keep doing it, but it was his commitment to his family, especially after his daughter was born that really was a a spark for him and, and rejuvenated him because he recognized that his role as a husband and as a father was to provide for his family. And he knew that diving and diving well was the best way for him to do that at this chapter in his life. And so that really kind of kind of sparked him to get back in the pool and uh, to, to keep working harder than he had before just because he was motivated as a dad and as a husband uh, to provide for them. And so I, I certainly think that that goes along uh, with his his Christian commitment and his understanding of what it means to be a godly husband and a godly dad. And, and I, I think that goes right along with what Josh was saying.
1: I think even Michael Phelps experienced a little daddy power this season swimming kind of for his fiance and his kid. You just, you just, there's another level of gratefulness and love and motivation that you didn't have before.
2: One of the things that always comes up with every Olympics is the old, uh, chariots of fire, uh, line, you know, I, I feel God's pleasure when I run, uh, which apparently Eric Liddell did not actually say, but is classic line, uh, nevertheless. But I am, I'm curious when you watch the games, uh, on TV now or, uh, in person, but in, when you're not in a competitor mode, when you're in either journalist mode or, or or viewer mode, is there a moment where you kind of feel God's God's pleasure, or where you kind of feel Christian uh, theology or spirituality is particularly on display? Is it in the people doing uh, you know great uh, athletic feats that God has empowered them to do? Is it in kind of humble responses to winning? Is it in you know some sort of active service that you see where where are you like man that is a christian moment at the olympics right there
1: i think when an athlete is doing something that sets them apart from the rest of the world it's easy as us for Christ- as christians to say wow that person really has a gift whether they acknowledge it or not whether they understand who gave them that gift or not it's easy for us to see so that's that's fun for me from a christian perspective but i'm really most impressed though when i see the evidence of uh, a changed heart, when God has changed a selfish heart into a giving heart, a heart like his that loves unconditionally, even their fiercest rivals. Uh, to me, that is that is uh, divine and, and a miracle too. So when I see several athletes like Missy Franklin or our captain Elizabeth Beisel, who didn't have the meat they wanted, but still cheer on their other teammates or still helping lead cheers, still serving the team, that may be a bigger miracle than or as big a miracle as some of the athletes who, you know, obviously have an incredible gift to do what they do.
3: Yeah. I think that, uh, that you can see those echoes and those examples of Christ and our faith in a lot of different ways. I, I just wrote a story about Krista Dietzen who plays on the women's volleyball team. And she talks about how as a Christian athlete, one of the ways that she expresses that is by, Loving her teammates well, and she talks about what what that means. Having you know people over to her house, and and uh, you know to have meals with her and her husband, and getting to know them, and finding ways, looking for ways to be an encouragement to them. So I, I think that's one way that that Christian athletes can really reflect a changed heart, is in how they treat others. I, I think we see an example of it even today in the the women's Five thousand meter race where you had this runner from New Zealand, Nikki Hamblin, who, who stumbled and fell, and uh, Abby DeGustino, you know, fell over her as well, and they were laying there on the track, and, and Abby who. I understand, has is, is been involved in, in Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Dartmouth. I don't know a whole lot about her faith, but I've seen enough to know that, that she is involved in some Christian groups there. And, and she was hurting, and she, and she helps Nikki get up. And she encourages her and says, Hey, come on, we've got to gotta finish this race. This is the Olympics. Let's keep going. You know, what a model, uh, an example of, of service that comes from a, a heart that's been changed by the gospel. Rather than just wallowing in self-pity and thinking, Oh, this really stinks that this happens to me. You know, he or she takes the opportunity to to turn a bad situation into something good. And uh, I think that's a great
2: example. I, I mentioned I've been acutely aware uh, of my Americanness watching this, especially as I've uh, kind of alternated between watching uh, NBC and watching a little bit of uh, CBC coverage and some, some other countries' uh, coverage. Had a friend from Kenya over the other night, and he says, man, it is really hard as a Kenyan to watch NBC because you only ever see uh, the American athletes. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a terribly patriotic guy most of the time. I definitely care intensely about, about the, the Team USA person in each race i'm curious if you a uh, know of any really uh, interesting christian athletes who are not on team usa that might be worth uh watching and b if uh you know uh, if there's any kind of camaraderie among uh, christian athletes across uh, national teams
3: i know nick willis from uh, new zealand you know is a runner who's a believer i've written about a few athletes over the years who are from other countries and who are believers but predominantly, it's, it's Americans. For one thing, it's just access. It's easier to, to have access to Team USA athletes uh, for me than it is athletes from other countries. And so that's why it's, it's not that I have anything against people from other countries. I, I, I certainly would uh, entertain the, uh, the idea of, of featuring them and writing on them if I'm aware of them and if I can get in touch with them. But uh, it just so happens that it's easier to do that with Americans.
1: Yeah, the Olympic Village always has a chaplaincy. Uh, Unfortunately, the governing body determines who the chaplains are and the um, denomination that gets to kind of run that chaplaincy. When I visited the Sydney chaplain, uh, they had a couple guys in there, yet they weren't able to hand out Bibles and they weren't able to talk about Jesus. So what happened is a lot of Christians gathered on their own. And it just so happened at the Sydney Olympics, the South African dorm had a big, nice, big lobby and offered a daily Bible study. And there was about 50, 60 athletes from all from all different countries that would show up and sing some songs and talk about a verse and, you know, discuss and then pray for each other and then split and then go back out. And uh, they did that every day. And in Beijing, '08, the Bahamas, the Bahamians ended up hosting the Bible study. I know in in London had a lot of good Bible studies. And then now in 2016, you know, they're all over in little pockets, pockets around the village. So I personally have been close with a lot of Australian Christians. And now I've heard some great stories about some Australian Christians now and um, some of the American Christian swimmers connecting with the Australian Christian swimmers.
0: Well, thank you so much for this really lively discussion and giving all these insights. I was definitely sitting here being like, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. So great stuff, guys. Before we move on to the next segment, Precious Moments, I just want to let everyone know that you are welcome to give us feedback. We would love to have our segment, Slow to Speak, where we give shout-outs to everyone who has thoughts about this. So if you have anything related to the Olympics that you want us to know or that you're happy got pointed out or you want to expand on, please do that. You can go on Twitter at CT Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CT and you can leave that there. We're happy to read it a And to share it here on the podcast next week. So yes, now is the time that we're going to do Precious Moments, which is when we go around the room and we get people to talk about something that is bringing them joy. And sometimes that thing that's bringing them joy has a theme. And share your where people can find you online, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or a website. So the prompt this week is. If you knew you would not win the gold medal or even end up on the podium, what Olympic sport would you compete in? Josh, do you want to start that one off?
1: Well, I got to be honest. I, before I started swimming, when I was 12 years old, I did pole vault. Really? Uh, yeah, I was not good, but I loved it. And there's just this incredible joy when you clear the bar and you, you experience that little, little moment of flying.
0: What was the highest that you got?
1: I got <laughs> well, in eighth grade, I did eight and a half feet. But I came back when I was 20 years old, as a junior in college. I came on the track with my decathlon roommate, and I grabbed a pole and no warm-up, no practice. hadn't jumped in four, you know, five years, and I cleared 12 feet. Wow! So That's I was, awesome. I was
0: swimming strength right there. I, yeah, I had,
1: I had a little. Finally, had a little strength to really uh, bend that pole and get up. And I was really proud of myself that I remembered all the little tips my track coach taught me. And to see these guys, you know, going 19 feet is just incredible to see.
0: The Brazilian guy that won a a couple of nights ago, he cleared... More like six at least six inches higher than he had cleared ever before in his career.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. You know, you you should really try that one sport, that Dutch sport that combines the pole vaulting over the river. Because I I figure with your background with water (laughs) and the background of pole vaulting, you you would dominate that sport right there. I
1: like that. I like, I say a safe landing for me. Yeah.
0: Where can people find you online?
1: Yeah. So, joshdavis.com is easy to find out about if, if people need talks for their churches or youth groups or corporate groups or. Civic groups or schools or swim clubs. And that's my main vocation is teaching at swim clubs. And uh, our tour, I run a tour of of Olympians. I contract out 30 other swimming Olympians to join me on a 100-city tour. We visit uh, cities all over America, and it's breakoutswimclinic.com, breakoutswimclinic.com. If people want to buy the the Olympic book of Olympic Christian testimonies, it's the goal and the glory. And uh, I'm really just engrossed watching the Olympics and staring at my three-month-old girl.
0: Awesome. All right, Tim, let's hear it. Well, I've been
3: laboring over the answer to this question, and I think... If I had to choose a sport, I would probably choose table tennis because even if I couldn't win a gold medal in that, just making it to the Olympics. (laughs) <laughs> would mean that I was good enough to dominate all of my friends. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'd be the university champion in, in ping pong.
0: The most popular guy at parties.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so I am online at tim timellsworth.com, timellswort com post some writings there occasionally. Most of my stories from the Olympics, actually all my stories from the Olympics are available on Baptist Press's website uh, at bpnews.net. And uh, I've still got more stories coming this week. Then I'm on Twitter at Tim Ellsworth, uh, if anybody wants to follow me there as well.
2: Fantastic. Uh, I'm Ted Olson at Ted Olson. You can find me at christianitytoday.com and behemothmag.com, uh, which is a sister publication of Christianity Today about awe and wonder. So in 1988, I was not going from, I think, junior high to high school at that stage. And the men's water polo team was practicing at my high school. And it was amazing just to watch those guys do their stuff. And that is just a sport that I have like no hope of. Ever, like even just treading water for that long, let alone actually playing a major sport. That's just, you know, the, the aspirational part of it uh, is, is where I'd, I'd, I would probably be. Um, although, maybe horse dressage, because <laughs> if I could compete in it, I would actually understand what it is I'm watching. Because I, I have tried. I, you you know that I have tried. We watched
0: the Santana horse dressage, if you guys missed that.
2: I have tried to understand that sport, and I, I just cannot tell what I'm supposed to be watching.
0: I think the sport that I would pick, I I said handball. Yeah. I really like watching the handball games. I find them very fast and speedy. But I also am really bad at everything related to handball, which is like hand-eye coordination and catching the ball as opposed to ducking from it. So I would go for handball. Also, the U.S. is not anywhere near competitive in handball. So I don't even know if I would be able to make the team for my country. And... People can find me at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Well, that is it for this week. I think you were all warned last week that there would be a lot more Olympic coverage. So thank you everyone for loving this, I hope. This show is made possible by our producers, Richard Clark and Cray Allred. Special thanks to Kate Shelnet. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That is super helpful to us. And we will see you all next week when Caitlin will be back.
1: Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms. CT equips.